What's going on, Lions? Welcome back to the Lions Blog Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Rushnell, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel, Chase, and Adam. And today, we will be previewing the Inter-Miami match. That's right. MLS is back. Orlando City is back. We are in the capital of the MLS in Orlando. Uh, Daniel, how are you doing today? Top of the evening to you all. Top of the evening. Chase, how about yourself? Fantastic. I'm ready to get back to some soccer. I know, right? We finally have something to actually talk about, something important, something to analyze. Adam, how are you doing tonight? We got a real live game preview coming. Oh, I'm so excited. Me too, me too. Uh, Just before we start some housekeeping, make sure you leave a five-star review. We will read them out on the podcasts. Um, And with that, let's start. And I want you guys to go all go over to the website that I asked you to go over to, uh, transfermarkt.com. And I wanted to start by, by just seeing what we're dealing with. Just just looking at their squad, and because personally, I think there is a, how do I want to put this, a bias that their squad is bad and our squad is not as bad. And I, I, I feel their squad is a little bit better than maybe the normal Orlando City fan will say. So I want you all to go over there and we're going to talk about their squad player by player really quickly. Uh, everybody ready? Yep. Yes, sir. All right, so first in goal is Luis Robles, a very, very, very good goalkeeper. He will be, or he will go down as an MLS legend when he retires. It's going to be tough to get past him. Uh, As we've seen in other leagues around the world, I think goalkeepers have uh, done pretty well. I I, I don't know about you guys. Have have you guys seen any really major goalkeeping errors? Maybe the um, Arsenal-Norwich game? Oh, and, and Arsenal's. Okay. Okay, there were two main goalkeeper errors from Arsenal, but that was just, they were pressed and they didn't kick the ball away fast enough. But in terms of catching the ball, in terms of saving the shot, uh, I haven't seen any goalkeeping errors. Have you guys? I I saw that one in the Sheffield United game. Um, I guess, was it against Aston Villa with the whole VAR controversy? Mm. Um, The free kick came in, the in-swinger, and it went right underneath the crossbar through the keeper's uh, clutches and that, I don't know that was that was a pretty bad error to be honest. Uh, it was the first game back, so you could say that his timing was off or whatever. But it was wasn't very good luck. Yep. And I think his man, yeah, his manager swore at him, got caught on camera asking him what the fuck he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, li- leave it up to Daniel to instantly uh, invalidate my entire point. So thank you, Daniel. Uh, let's move on to center back Jorge Figal, uh, someone they brought in for a decent money, I want to say. Uh, no, there's a question mark next to his fee here. Uh, no, uh, we don't know the, the fee, but uh, what was that, Adam? It's five mil, apparently, according to Transfer Market. Yeah, yeah. So so he's a, he's a very good player. He's definitely their starting center back and probably their star center back. Uh, along with Leandro Gonzalez Pires, who will not be at the tournament because of the TAM rule. Um, but Jorge Figal, he is their starting center back. Uh, I haven't seen enough of him to say say whether he's top, top-notch quality or if he's just expensive and he's pretty average. Next is a youngster in Andres Reyes, another center back that they paid, I think, decent money for. Um, 
Uh, Roman Torres, we all know about him. I He will not be playing against us uh, because he got a red card in the DC United games. And I don't think he really would have started anyway. He was pretty poor in their first two games. Um, ben Sweat, the left back against, uh, not against, the former left back of NYCFC, Mikey Ambrose. We all know about him. And then at the right back position, they have Alvis Powell and AJ De La Garza, the former Cincinnati and Houston right backs. So Adam, I'm going to go over to you first. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask all of you to take your to, to put your non-biased objective analysis hat on for a second. How good is that defense? Um, Luis Robles. Uh, in case anyone had any misconceptions that he might be old. Uh, NYRB got rid of him. He's washed. He ain't washed. I, I reviewed the LAFC, uh, both of Inter-Miami's games today, actually. Particularly in the LAFC game. LAFC uh, won that game 1-0. They should have scored 5 or 6. And Robles had save after save after save. And, and it took a golazo from Carlos Vela to to finally get it past him. Uh, Robles is by far their, their biggest asset defense. Um, I think I think they are going to miss Torres a little bit against us, actually, just because he did start those two games, and he was the one in that partnership with Vigal. And uh, he, I don't know that he – well, he was bad, but he was very up and down because he was also the only one making big tackles, like late-saving tackles and blocks that otherwise would have resulted in one-on-ones with the keeper. Um, so I think they'll miss Torres, who's also an MLS veteran and has had a very well-respected career. Um, Ben Sweat, you know, he he sounds like just a guy. You know, his name's Ben Sweat. Uh, I don't think there's much more to say about him. Like he's he's kind of an average MLS guy, you know. Um, and then you know, Paulo Del Garza, whoever starts there. It's I don't think their backline's that great. I think I mean Figal's. You know, they 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 got good money on him and uh, Robles is fantastic but I think their their back line is is absolutely attackable especially with uh, disruption in the center back pairing well in terms of right back I mean they started Powell in their first game against LAFC but in the second game against DC United they actually started Dylan Nealis one of their draft picks so uh, I don't know if that speaks to Dylan Nealis's quality or if just they struggled with Powell back there and AJ De La Garza was on the bench for both games yeah, I don't think there's much to worry about with the back line. I mean, if they had the full complement of players available with, with Perez and such, then I'd say it's a different argument. But I think at the full-back areas, you've, you can target them pretty well. Uh, the goalkeeper is, is obviously a good one, but he's only going to stop so many. So if they can be smart and get down the flanks a bit, I'm sure they're going to find find opportunities to score against the defence. Uh, the centre-backs, like I say, it's going to be one of their established players most likely playing and then it's going to be a kind of a toss-up between whoever else partners him all right let's move on to midfield we start with will trap we have history with him victor uyoa from fc cincinnati will traps from columbus forgot to say that jay chapman from toronto uh lewis morgan a left midfielder from celtic breck shea uh, what is up with breck shea on inter miami like are you kidding me <laughs> I think what's it what's his name paul mcdonough paul mcdonough paul mcdonough i saw okay i'm sorry i have to stop here for a second i saw a tweet or or, or no i heard somebody say 
Um, it was Eli Lesser, um, the guy who runs this week on, of MLS or on MLS on Instagram. He was on the MLS Now podcast with David. And he said that Paul McDonough is brilliant at building squads. Doesn't look like it. <laughs> Where's our brilliant squad? What? Where's our brilliant squad? Our 2015 squad makeup was horrible. We had Kaka, Molino, Kyle Laren. Laren. Yep. We had no defense. I don't know. Just that was a bad take, in my opinion. Anyways, um, let's see who else we got here. Rodolfo Pizarro, attacking midfielder, that their one big name signing so far. Lee Wynn, a pretty solid player for uh, LAFC last season. Uh, Mateus Pellegrini, left winger. And uh, that's it in terms of midfielders. Uh, Chase, I'm going to go to you. Um, they have a lot of MLS-type names in there. And then, obviously, the big one, Rodolfo Pizarro. What do you think about their midfield? So the, the issue with their midfield that we're probably going to experience here is 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 the main man, Rodolfo Pizarro. But they also have Matias Pellegrini is someone who is really highly regarded coming out of Argentina. Argentina and... Uh, you know, I know that I just said that they didn't necessarily build the best squad, but they do have a lot of very young players who have a, a high pedigree. Whether or not they're able, they're going to be able to come in and just perform. I mean, even even if you look at a player like Barco, he didn't necessarily just come into the league and then perform at an extremely high level. Um, they have a lot of good young players who, if they hit, they're going to be fantastic players that they'll sell on for a lot of money. And we're kind of going to get to experience, you know, whether or not they are going to kind of take to this league uh like a fish to water or whatever or whatever the saying is like they have a lot of good attacking players that that can trick our back line uh especially you know players like robin jensen who might be able to go in for a crunching tackle they might be able to draw cards from our back line uh for things like that because rodolfo pizarro matias pellegrini are going to cause a decent amount of issues i'm sure of it even you know even with pellegrini being only 20 and we already know you know pizarro is still a Mexican international player. Um, outside of that, uh, the the Scottish guy that they got, I, I can't even remember his name, but he uh, did. Lewis Morgan. Lewis Morgan. He was decent uh, against DC United. He got a goal that was disallowed, which was disallowed because of Roman Torres' red card, which I think it was like handball. I can't even necessarily remember the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So it he was. looked decent. He's you know, definitely someone who looks like the quality of this league. And outside of that, I'm not necessarily too concerned with anyone else, but those two players in particular, Pizarro and Pellegrini are people we have to worry about. Like, like Trap, you can take out of a game relatively easily. Anyone who, you know, he, he scored a decent, a brilliant goal against us, like, uh, all things considered. But if you've watched him play for the international team, like if you set yourself up, self up well enough, you can just, take him out of the game because he really can just kind of shift the ball on and hit a nice pass. But he's, he's a player that can be marked out of the game fairly simply, I think. All right. Now let's move on to the strike force. Uh, We've got Julian Carranza, their big name striker, 20 years old as well. Argentinian as well. Very similar uh, vein to Matias Pellegrini who chase brought up. Um, He was injured early on in the season and it was, it was looking like he was going to be out for a couple weeks, but obviously with the break, they're going to get their striker back. We're going to get our striker back too. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, so Julian Carranza, I expect him to be starting against us. They also have Juan Agudelo, the former, um, 
Well, it says he came from Tottenham, but I th- Tottenham. Oh my gosh, Toronto. Uh, I've got Tottenham on my mind because they lost to Sheffield United. Um, Oof, Adam. <laughs> sorry, Adam. I'm really sorry, but you know. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You have Jose Mourinho as boss. That's that's who I've. That's what I'm sorry about. Uh, but yeah, I thought he came from New England Revolution. No, Juan Agudelo. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I don't see anything about Toronto. Really? He my screen. Uh, yeah, it shows a little, little Toronto icon, but he definitely played for New England. Um, transfer mark? Oh, I'm not looking at the transfer mark, to be fair. It's just the uh, the tin pot research again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just the tin pot. relying on transfer mark, like that one review said. All right, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, it says, it says on Wikipedia, it says, after not reaching an agreement with Toronto FC, who acquired his rights, he joined expansion side Miami, so he didn't play... Mm. A minute, but they had his rights for a short minute. That's just like it strikes me as like an, a weird MLS rule that is a caveat kind of. He was a Toronto player. Yeah. Okay, like, and uh, finally Robbie Robinson, who uh, I remember Matt Doyle being very high on. What he was the first pick yeah. in the MLS draft or the second? Yeah. So they started him when uh, with uh, Kron's injured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Daniel, it's your turn. What do you think of their strike force? Well, Agadello is is that type of player that you know it's got an unspectacular record, but you just know he's the likely one to score against Orlando. They always seem to concede goals to that type of player. Um, <clears throat> got some experience over in Holland as well when he was a bit younger, which you know, I mean, it's a plus for him. Uh, Carranza's the guy that they're going to watch out for. But to be quite honest with you, um, I looked at the roster before we we got together and. The section that actually worried me the least was the forward line. I, I feel as if if they can keep Carranza quiet, I think, you know, we've got half the game won because I feel, you know, we'll be able to make up the rest in the midfield. But um, I'm, I'm not too scared of the forward line at the moment. I mean, it's one striker we've really got to watch, but that's the other two guys, Robinson and, is it Kizawera? Is that how you pronounce it? I'm not even worried about him. I doubt we'll see him. Yeah, I don't think he's Yeah, he's very inexperienced and... You know, coming into a situation that's not, not ideal. First game in three months. Carranza's the one we got to watch. If we can marshal him, which I think we've got the guys to do, then I think we'll be fine. And he hasn't played a game in, in quite a long, quite a long time. No. Did no, he appear I, at all in preseason? Or when did he get injured? Uh, b- b- I think with uh, when he was out on loan. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he's played a minute for them yet in any, in any shape or form. But... um. Could be wrong, but nonetheless, he's not had a competitive game for him yet. So yeah, and he's yeah. very young. There's a lot of stuff going against him, mm-hmm. so it's it's not something that I'm too concerned about. I think the goals are going to come from the midfield, particularly Rodolfo Pizarro. Like he is their one man, but he is he's like obviously a, an elite level player in the MLS. He's the only one who scored for them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He scored against DC. And I mean, I mean, when you look at it. Yeah, that that's not that scary. But I feel like when teams look at us, they see, oh, Dom Dwyer, you know, he's not a threat. Oh, Chris Mueller, he's not really a goal scorer. Oh, we don't really know about Benji, and uh, he hasn't really scored this season or really shown that much. So again, when they look at us, we they see Nani. So it's kind of like a Nani versus Pizarro duel. Um, what do you guys think about that? Who who might come out on top there? I mean, that's not really an accurate way to look at this game. Uh, I will give Robbie Robinson some credit. One overall pick for a reason. Um, we thought we got a good guy at uh, Ford and Daryl DK. 
and uh, I mean, this guy won't win, you know. Yeah, Matt uh, Trophy. I mean, obviously, he hasn't scored for them yet, and he's very young and inexperienced, but he didn't look terribly out of place from when I was watching Miami, so if he ends up seeing some playing time, I don't think he'll be a li- I mean, it's hard to be a liability at striker, though Dom Dwyer somehow managed it last year. But uh, I, I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll look terribly out of place if he's the one that ends up playing, just for sake of chemistry with the squad. All right, and then the next thing I want to talk about is Diego Alonso, their coach, a very successful coach. He has won the Mexican Championship and he has won Concacaf Champions League twice. Uh, Maybe it won't be, uh, maybe Adam's right, it won't be just Nani versus Pizarro, but it's 100% Diego Alonso against Oscar Pereja. Um, I think it's going to be very important uh, in-game management and, and just and who can, who can do the best, who can react the fastest and, and correctly. Um, and honestly, I'm nervous because Oscar Pereja... He likes to tinker, so if he if he gets it wrong, that could be a problem for us, or he could possibly get it right. Um, so I'm just worried in, in, in that aspect, as in my opinion, Diego Alonso has been a more successful coach than Oscar Pereja. Yeah, Diego Alonso, you know, I don't think a lot of us watch Paraguayan or Uruguayan football, which is where a lot of his experience came from, and obviously he, he had a lot of success in the later half in Mexico but he's been throughout the Americas and he's found success but he hasn't really adapted well uh you know like like in the DC United game when they went a man down I didn't necessarily think that they altered anything and and you know I'm speaking from having watched highlights and watched the game what feels like years ago now like I, I but I just remember that they didn't really respond well to going a man down when Roman Torres was sent off and I think that his reputation does kind of precede himself and he is a manager that has a high pedigree and even higher than than you know Oscar even though Oscar's had a lot of success in the MLS which especially if you look at managers like Bob Bradley like there's a reason Bob Bradley is a fantastic manager in the MLS but if you take him out and you put him you know he had a spell at Swansea he didn't do too well there's a reason like when people are in their element managers especially and they they understand how to manage the league I guess you can find a lot of success so I I don't necessarily know what to expect out of Diego Alonso but all that I do know is I I think MLS experience isn't to be undervalued and I I personally would rate Oscar Pereja probably a little bit higher at, at least for this tournament format just because he's he's been in this situation before where now obviously not this situation that we're facing right now with like this whole coronavirus thing, but he's been in the MLS before and he's understood, you know, what, what, what works here and, and how to get victories in this league. And, and that's, I, I'm fairly, I'm pessimistic about some things about our squad, but manager, I really don't think is, is one thing to be too nervous about personally. And I actually wrote on the blog, uh, when coming up against each other, Oscar Perea actually has come out on top. He has won two games and only lost one against Diego Alonso. Oh, is that in Champions League? Uh, I I didn't check which games yeah. they were. It was just a uh, statistic, uh, though. Mexico, right? Oh yeah, I guess yeah. Yeah, when he was with Monterey and and yeah, yeah, yeah. Rea was uh with um Tijuana. Tijuana. All right, now let's now let's shift the focus to our squad a bit and and let's talk about the main talking point, 
Dom Dwyer is going to be returning. And now while we don't obviously know if he will be returning to the starting 11 immediately, it seems that way. Uh, it, it, it seems that he will be involved in the starting 11. I, I, I don't know if he will, but it, I don't know. It just seems like who else are we going to put up there, right? Um, mm. We didn't really achieve success putting Tesho up there in our first two games and he looks ready to go. Um, we're, he's one of our highest paid players. Obviously he's on a DP tag. So um, anyway, long word question short. Uh, Adam, yeah, I'm going to go yeah. to you. For, <laughs> I'm just trying to think like, Adam, I'm going to go to you for this one. Actually, uh, how important do you see? I know you've been, saying that he will be important, but why do you think he will be important to why us? Why be important? Because strikers are important. It's, Adam. it's not the same as... Uh, so I know, I know American football really well. It's not the same as a quarterback, but it's not dissimilar. You know, if you don't have one, or if you don't have a goal scorer at least, and we... Nani is great. He plays a forward position, but he's not a primary goal scorer. He's more of like a creative he'll get some goals but he's not the guy that you're going to funnel the ball to to put in the back of the net we need a goal scorer to win games and benji could be that guy he's shown uh, a nose for goal and he's shown finishing ability but he's not a polished player yet and who knows what his mentality is going to look like and dom's for that matter too after this gigantic layoff that we've experienced we need a striker to be successful, and if we don't have a striker, then we're going to draw games at best, probably lose a bunch of them, and we're not going to make it out of the, the group stage. So why I think Dom Dwyer is super important, and I don't know that he'll be good. I think that he's an emotional and streaky player who thrives off of circumstances or, or um, is affected by his circumstances a lot. And I think he has something to prove, and he has a massive chip on his shoulder right now. So I think we could potentially see the best of Dom Dwyer that we have seen in Orlando City uniform. Um, we could also see what we've seen for the past year, and that wouldn't necessarily shock me either. But I think he's his form, because I think he's going to get the start, he makes too much money, and we don't really have much competition for him outside of Benji. And uh, his performance will be a massive indicator of whether or not we can score goals and we can win games or we can just be fighting for draws the only thing i really disagree with there i do think he will be important but i see dwyer as not a goal scorer i see him as a creative type player we've always known that his kind of best attributes have been getting the ball into his feet and putting it out to the wings. That's kind of his uh, um, um, superpower, you could say. Every time he gets in front of goal, yeah, he obviously has the potential to put it in the net. But after his little streak in 2017, I believe, or, or 2018, end of 2017, start of 2018, uh, after that, he's kind of been dead. He, so, he's kind of been I, living I off like that. that. Who's going to score for us then? I, I mean, right now, it's Nani. Honestly, yeah. it's Nani and, and corners and, and lucky bounces and late runs into the box. But 
it when you're talking about the team right now, all I see is Nani. I I, I get that. If you so if you don't see Nam as a goal scorer, a goal scoring type striker, which is an oxymoron in my opinion, you play Benji. You know, yeah. You go yeah. with a guy that could that could get you goals. But we're That's not going to from that position. I don't see yeah. that happening though. Me neither. But I I disagree with the assertion that Dom is a creative striker though, in my really? opinion. Like 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 I feel like I mean obviously he didn't have too much success at it last season, but throughout his career he's always I feel like been like a, a goal scorer first. Like that's been his primary thing. Like uh I know that we've talked about this before, but he had a higher amount of expected goals than he actually did come out with last season. And that's because he's able to get into proper positions, but he just had a lot of issues finishing. And I, I can understand maybe like you saying that in relation to his kind of dip in form in the past two seasons and him maybe having to evolve a little bit and get involved into play a little bit more. But I've never personally, I've never really felt like he is someone that could drop deep and, 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 like he he's capable of maybe playing the ball out to a winger, and he won't necessarily harm us in that position. But I I don't really think that that's one of his better qualities. I I think that he gets paid one hundred percent to score goals, and I know that he doesn't right now, and that's the main issue with him. But to me, I agree with Adam. It's like if Dom Dwyer doesn't score goals, he doesn't affect the game enough, and we don't really have. I I know Nani is technically a winger, but he tends to drift inside. We don't necessarily have players out wide. Uh, that that would accompany him, that would make it worth it. And I would agree with Adam that if we're looking for Dom just to be creative, I would rather Benji just come in and 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 look at someone who maybe can score consistently. And I'm, you know, not to overhype Benji, but I think you know at least maybe in the back half of this past season and and in preseason and things like that, he's looked the more dangerous player definitely. And and that's not necessarily saying much, but I would rather start Benji at this point. I think. I think the problem with Benji is when we put him out on the wing, we give him too much responsibility. I need to, I think he needs to stand up top, make runs, and and get in behind. And yeah. I think when we put him on the wing, we're giving him too much defensive responsibility. And honestly, he's just not that good at positioning himself defensively to make sure that he can impact the final third. So when mm. he gets, so when he's on the wing, uh, he he doesn't get into those those areas where he can make those deadly runs. He's too far back. Um, when it comes to Dwyer, um. What I was saying there is not that I think we're going to use him as a creative uh, striker. I think we're going to try and use him as a goal-scoring striker. I just don't think that's what he excels at best. Yeah, definitely not anymore. I feel yeah, like he seems to excel um, much. You know, he, he, um, th- there was one game, I can't remember it last season, but by halftime, Dom had had like four touches of the ball in the entire first half. There's other games where he might get 10 or 12 or 15. Um any focal creative player, you know, creative ability is not really just about receiving the ball and being able to do something. It's it's looking for the space and being able to drop between the lines and find the space. And it's more of a personality trait than it is just a like a, a renowned kind of skill set. Um, I just don't think he has the the mentality to go looking for the space. I think he's a he's a poacher, and I think he's always looking for how he can score it's not his instinct to go find the space to do it and I mean as a footballer attacking player especially you should have the basic ability to get the ball and lay it off to other people so if that's his superpower then I wouldn't be um, I wouldn't be that impressed you know yeah Yeah. 
All right. Well, I think that's enough on Dwyer. I'm sure we're going to be talking about him a lot come the end of the game on July 8th. Um, let's talk about the other injury return, and that's going to be Yuri Rossell. Um, do we see him coming back into the squad and uh, making an impact, or do you think it's kind of Perea's and Desart's position to lose in terms of on the bench? I, I think now, especially just... I don't, I don't think this tournament is the best place to kind of just put young players in and put a lot of pressure on them because I think, you know, we, we know that this is such like an unprecedented uh, unprecedented tournament, un- unprecedented circumstances, excuse me. And like, I, I just don't think that us relying on Joey Desart, who hasn't even played in the league yet, and, and Andreas Perea, who's looked all right, but he's still a teenager, I believe, or maybe he's like 20 or something like that. So I, I don't necessarily know if it's it's great to put too much reliance on them. I think that Yuri, we might see, I don't think he'll start, but I think that he'll feature off the bench a lot, especially, you know, he's a technically sound player who can, you know, get the ball to his feet, shift play, things like that. Like he's not athletically spectacular or anything like that, but he can control play a little bit and, you know, say we're in a little bit of a, a KG chaotic type game. I think that he could come in at the base of midfield and maybe slow things down a little bit, but I don't necessarily know if he'll have too much of a positive effect. Like he won't be a game changer, but I definitely think that in terms of kind of central midfielders, like if we play a double pivot or something like that, he would be the one that would come off the bench, in my opinion, uh, before any of the two young guys that we got going there who are both decent players, but this is just not the right environment for them. I feel. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Yuri Rossell is going to come on, be a, a closer, uh, so Urso and Mendez will start the first game at least in terms of Inter Miami, uh, not the whole tournament obviously because that would be insane squad management. But uh, when when it comes to the Inter Miami game, um, I think if you know we're one nil up, uh, you bring Yuri Rossell on for Mendez and you just say, okay, sit back, get the ball, distribute it, um, make, win some tackles, and uh, get us this win. And I think that's what his role will be in this game. All right. So next, I I, I want to introduce a new segment to the podcast. And it's going to be one that is here to stay. So every time we preview the, the next match, and this is not only for the tournament, but for every single game going forward, I'm going to ask the crew for their key to the match. Um, then, of course, we will discuss it uh, after they say it. It can be anything they think is important in order for us to get a win. Um, and with that, Adam... I'm going to start with you. Give us your key. It is how Rodolfo Pizarro will match up with our defensive midfield, particularly Sabas Mendes. So uh, I've done a little bit of watching Inter Miami in preparation for for this discussion. And uh, obviously, um, so Pellegrini's kind of off the bench for them a little bit in the beginning of the season, and Carranza's been injured. So their guy has been Pizarro, and he's been the one that's driven every single attack. He's scored their only goal. Every time that they have looked dangerous, it's been Pizarro. What I've noticed about him is he's a very classy player. And what I mean by that is some players, uh, you, you, you hear the saying, uh, form is temporary, class is permanent. You see some players from Miami will have good stretches of play. Uh, they'll have a good 20 minutes, they'll have a, a good half, they'll have a good game. 
but they won't be as consistently excellent as Pizarro is in finding the right pass, being exactly where he needs to be, looking for creative options, picking out something that's not just like a straight line ground pass to another player and trying to make something happen, looking to take on players, looking to take shots. He's the only one, other than Pellegrini a little bit, that's been really advancing their attack. And he's not a particularly pacey player, but his game speed is quicker than his physical speed. He knows how to receive the ball and immediately, with very good technical dribbling ability, advance it quicker than another player that uh, might be physically more impressive, but may not be as technically impressive. All that yeah. is to say, Rodolfo Pizarro is a problem. He, it, There's no way around it. And he's going to get his. He he's that guy that you're not gonna shut him down completely. Completely, I know I said it wasn't a fair comparison, but he's their Nani. No, no one, no one ever really, really stops Nani. They just, you know, stop the rest of the team and put two guys on him. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of that's kind of what we have to do here. And we're very, very lucky that we have Sebas Mendes because Sebas Mendes is really good, y'all. Yeah. He uh, he so. Y'all know my love affair with Christian Higuita and how he is, uh, I think, the platonic ideal of an MLS midfield destroyer who can also get forward and contribute. Mendez is pretty close, in my opinion. He's not quite the destroyer that Higuita is, but I think he plays with a little more refinement to his game, and he has a little more technical talent, which would will actually aid him in matching up with Pizarro. And I don't know, and in reviewing our play from earlier this season, Perea's system, what we've seen of it, I don't know that he's going to do something like that, where he's going to man-mark, say, Mendez or Urso. It could be Urso, honestly, but I would pick Mendez um, on Pizarro. But I think I would have one of them, maybe not one of them all the time, but either or. Always know where he is because on uh, so the goal that he scored for Inter Miami, he lost his defender, and he drifted to about five or six yards that he was open at the back post, and he waited for the ball, and it got to him, and he slotted home. He's very crafty like that, and if you lose him, he's gonna make you pay. So we can't do that. Either Mendez or Urso needs to know where Pizarro is at all time. Because if we can have a guy on him and pressed up close to him, especially guys, Urso's classy too. Like he, he's no slouch. So if we can have a guy of his caliber of player, or at least close to it, on him and making his life difficult, that'll make it a lot easier for the rest of the team to shut down the rest of Miami, which Carranza and Pellegrini pending isn't at nearly as dangerous as Pizarro, potentially just not that dangerous, period. Yeah, I, I I think you're right there. Uh, it's clear to see that his movement is, is top notch in terms of MLS play. He, it's he is top tier in terms of movement. Uh, he knows how to trick defenders. He's very good at that, um, and he's also very good, like you said, technically on the ball. I think instead of man marking with one, um, you were kind of dancing around the idea there. You man mark with both, and the way you do that yeah. is when when he's on the right side, our left side. Urso goes and kind of stays near him, okay? And then when he's on the right side, or our left side, uh, Mendez goes over there and, and deals with him. Uh, and I think that's the way you do it, because then, and, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but I think we should do the 
start with three at the back. Um, then you have the three at the back to deal with the on-rushing midfielders and maybe the late runs from Real Trap and uh, their other midfielder, Uyoa. Um, and then you, you still have the wing backs dealing with um, Pellegrini and, Caron- and um, their other winger, Morgan. And so I think it's going to be very important, that battle um, between Mendez, but also Urso. So uh, could we maybe alter your key to say Mendez and Urso versus Pizarro? I think Mendez is a noticeably better defender than Urso. I also think that Pereja wanting defensive solidity will maybe have Mendez play that that deeper lying role. Um, Because you know how he'll push one of the midfielders up and have the other drop back a little bit. (laughs) I think Mendez will be the one to stay back, um, particularly to deal with with Pizarro. But yeah, obviously Urso has to be involved. Obviously, Urso's defensive positioning, though, is, I would say, top-notch, though. I think he's very good at positioning himself to be in the right place at the right time when it comes on defense. Yes, but it's not quite the same as as how he would normally do it uh, against a team that doesn't have probably a top-three cam in MLS. You know, normally Urso will be very sound. He'll know the system. He'll know where he's supposed to be. He'll have his eyes scanning the field, and he'll get where he needs to be. This is different. This is, you see that guy, you go get him, and you make sure he doesn't kill us. All right, Chase or Daniel, do you have anything to say on that? I don't want to freeze you guys out of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, just just real fast. Like Most of my experience watching uh, Rodolfo Pizarro has come against like Mexico-USA national team games. And something that I will say is, like positionally, he does line up as kind of like a central midfielder, center attacking midfielder, even kind of like a withdrawn forward. But he oftentimes kind of has the... Uh, the prerogative, I guess, to just kind of free roam, and he'll even find himself on the wing a lot, and almost be more effective from there. Uh, from times, I feel like I I remember like there was a game against the USA, and and he wasn't really able to to contribute much from the middle. And I want to say like he just positionally was moved out to the wing, and then he started giving us fits coming out uh, like against our fullbacks. And so, like, what do you think we would have to kind of, like, alter in terms of our game plan if he decides to kind of move out wide? Because I do think that there is a possibility that if he tries to stay centrally, it'll be hard to get through our midfield. But if he does go out wide, what do you think we should do to alter the game? Would it just kind of be, like, put Ruan or Moutinho and just give them that defensive responsibility? Or would we need to ask a lot more from, like, our wide players and wingers for them to drop back as well? Or I think you shift your fullback in and you you ask him to stay deeper because he's too dangerous so unfortunately if he goes to Huan's side and we know how important Huan is to our offense in terms of bombing forward if he's on Huan's side it would be suicide to send him up and then send Carlos out unless you have that three-back system oh yeah three-back system go ahead if we're in the three-back system you can kind of send Carlos who will be our right center back in that system out to kind of manage that area of the pitch and then have Juan be back when he is back, but still kind of bomb forward. If we're in the four back, Juan has to come in and, and kind of, and kind of save that area because he can't send out a center back. Oh, yeah. what you could alternatively do is cause I mean, I don't know about y'all, but the thought of Pizarro on Juan terrifies me. Um, what you could potentially do is you could still send Juan up and you could almost slot, Antonio Carlos out to to right back, 
uh, and when we're on defense specifically to cover Bizarro when he has the ball, and then have Mendez drop back into a center back position, just as like an emergency, like, okay, he'll deal with the runner that comes trying to come down the channel on that side. But really, Carlos would be the one primarily defending Pizarro instead of Juan. Yeah, all very good possibilities. All right, uh, Daniel, do you have anything to say on the matter really quickly before we move on to the next key? Yeah, just quickly, um, I thought about this, and I felt like the way that we could really um, get at Miami is that I feel that their midfield is extremely strong. Um, I anticipate they're probably going to play like a 4-5-1 or like a 4-3-3 hybrid. Um, so the way for us to negate that would be to pack the middle and go with um, maybe like a narrow double double pivot and three players ahead of them. But the whip's going to come from the fullbacks and... I think you're going to see Moutinho and Juan both start. I think the two centre-backs are going to be told to look after their striker. And our full-backs are going to be given the responsibility of getting forward. Um, I think we can hurt them down the flanks, as I said earlier. Uh, pack that midfield and, and squeeze the breath out of Pizarro and their other creative players. And that, for me, would be our game plan. Um, obviously, we need the guy in the middle up front who can who can get on the end of some crosses. But we'll see how that goes. All right, Chase, your turn. Give us your key to the match. So my key to the match is uh, just kind of be very direct towards their back line because if you look, you know, they played kind of a three-back and a four-back. Like in their first game, I believe they went with a four-back, and then against DC United, they operated with a three-back. Uh, like you said, it was like Fagal, Roman Torres, Dylan Nielis. I don't know what they're going to operate right now because they don't have Roman Torres, and, and every, they, they have some decent young center backs. But I don't necessarily know if you would want to go with a back two of, of Fagal, who Fagal, if you look at his past season, like uh, in, in Argentina, he had, I believe he got sent off twice and he had three yellow cards. And, and one of his red cards was from yellow card accumulation. And I think it was only in like 24 appearances or something like that. So he's a player that you can draw cards on. Just he's very young. slow. He's not that fast. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and he'll go in for a tackle, and 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 young players, no matter how much of a talent they are, I always think that you have the possibility to kind of draw them out, and there's there's always the opportunity that if you get them involved in the game and your your forward line engages them a lot, they're gonna fly in for a tackle, and and they could draw a yellow. And Alvis Powell, all throughout his career, if he starts at right back, they might go for like De La Garza or somebody at right back. Alvis Powell throughout his career has always been a player who hasn't had a great disciplinary record. I think he got a yellow card in the first game when they played in the back four. So overall, I want to get the ball at a player like Nani, who even though he's lost a bit of pace, he can still be a direct player and run at back lines and and, and make them have to go in for a tackle and force defensive actions. And, and that's where we can draw cards, especially against this back line. And, and, you know, Chris Mueller too. Chris Mueller, despite, you know, he might be lacking a bit of end product, he is a direct player who is technical and, and, and fairly smart and he can run in a back line, draw cards as well. And I think it's very possible that we could get somebody sent off, whether that's Fagal, whether that's one of the young guys or Ben Sweat or uh, Alvis Powell in the fullback position, or even if we can just get their back line on a yellow, obviously we all know, you know, I'm sure most of the people listening, obviously they've watched soccer, played soccer, just eat. And, and I've played center back. Like if you're on a yellow, it makes you think and it makes you, kind of allow the game more to come and it gives the forward line a lot more freedom roaming forward because you don't want to go in for another challenge and risk getting 
getting a second yellow, obviously, and, and having your team go down a man. And I believe that we have players like Pereira, we have players like Nani who are intelligent, and we have quick, young, direct players like, you know, Benji even, uh, Chris Mueller, and, and Dom Dwyer, maybe not for running at defenders, but he is someone who he could himself get sent off, but he can also entice other players and make it kind of a cagey affair that can can get get into some of these young players and some of these guys who, you know, are capable of, of uh, bringing a card out. So I think our back line kind of has to focus on being direct or excuse me, our forward line has to focus on being direct and, and, and drawing cards and, and getting space through that way. If that makes sense, you guys understand what I'm saying? So are you proposing like kind of go long ball and go after the, the second balls and then kind of go direct or just, are you saying with when the ball's on the ground, you run at them and, and you make them uh, put in tackles and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that if, if we can get the ball on the ground and, you know, Nani is a tricky player who can, uh, through through whatever means, he can, you know, draw. He's like I think he's done it a couple times with us, and we've seen him do it throughout his career. Like he can slow the game down, and he could draw fouls. And and the same thing with with Chris Mueller, and the same thing with Benji, and and even Mauricio Pereira. They can all ride off challenges, and they can draw fouls and things like that. And especially with this back line, because I I did a little bit of research. You know, as a baseline, I think young players are always susceptible to picking up a card. Uh, but Jorge Fagal is someone who can definitely be drawn into at least a yellow, possibly even be sent off, and Alvis Powell as well. I don't know too much about uh, Dylan Sweat, and, and De La Garza is, is someone who has had like an okay disciplinary record in his MLS career. But those players that I mentioned specifically, I think that we could, uh, if we are direct and if we have to kind of force their hand a couple of times, I think that we could get... Uh, you know, the referee to go to to uh, bring his cards out and, and, you know, get a little more space with our front line. I think that also in combination with the... So I paid a lot of attention to the LAFC game because, I mean, just being honest, there was a lot of LAFC going at Miami's back line. Mm-hmm. But what really gave them fets, other than Carlos Vela being the best player in MLS. Um, but we have Nani, so it's it's like... It's a lot closer than a lot of other teams have. And we also have Mauricio Pereira. What gave them fits was when Carlos Vela had the ball and playing his false nine like he kind of does. And then Diego Rossi playing a very direct nine and making those runs at him, uh, at them, was giving them abs. The only t- thing that kept Inter-Miami in that game was Luis Robles putting in uh, a keeper display like on par with like Tim Howard against the Netherlands. Like It was that good. And maybe not quite that good. You know, that's a legendary performance. So it was really freaking good. And so we, I think we could have a lot of success, particularly if we have guys like Mueller and Benji on, either or at that right wing spot. Have um, We have three guys in Moutinho, Nani, and Pereira who are very comfortable having the ball at their feet and facilitating an attack. If we have uh, Moutinho come off the left side, and then we have kind of that, that line of three sit under Dwyer and, say, Benji on the right wing. Dwyer and Benji making very direct runs and playing those little little combination plays and those bits of skill like Nani and Pereira can do. I think we could honestly tear apart that back line pretty effectively. It's just the fact that we need to put the ball in the back of the net. And I think you brought up a good point that, about... Um, that's the- the- yeah, I think you brought up a good point, though, about those three players with um, liking the ball at their feet. But uh, the thing I've noticed is 
Nani is not the most direct player. Uh, he likes to dictate the tempo a lot. So sometimes when he gets the ball, he will just, you know, slow it down. And, and it gets mm-hmm. frustrating sometimes. So I think it will it will be important for him to, to get the ball. And you are going to have to pick your moments. We can't forget that these players are not at full match fitness. So we have to pick our moments when to be direct. We can't just go, go, go because we will get too tired. But uh, when Nani gets the ball and if he can pick that moment to just have a go at them. Maybe first 10 minutes, do it once or twice and just see what we can do. I think that will be very important. Uh, plus, when he does that, um, and if it if it if if he pulls it off, uh, having Moutinho on his left-hand side to be able to put crosses in, having Pereira to his right-hand side, if we are going in that 4-2-3-1 and he is kind of in that left half space, uh, I think that will be uh, uh, very important for us going forward. So I think that's a great point, Chase. All right, Daniel, over to you now. Let's hear your key to the match. I already gave you my key to the match. That was the, um, yeah, the attacking fullbacks. fullbacks. Mm, mm, okay. <laughs> All right, so I was going to go with you last, actually, because our key is kind of similar, kind of different. Uh, it's not because I hate you. It's because uh, it, was, it was a little bit similar, a little bit different. So my key is that, in my opinion, we have to set up with a three-center-back formation. We have to set up very, very, very similar to how we set up in that Colorado game, and I'm gonna I'm, I'm I'm gonna explain why right now. So the first kind of reason why I want to do that is the extra body in defense in case of mistakes. I think mistakes in the middle of the field are gonna be um, a lot more. Um, what's the word? It's just, it's it's gonna happen a lot more than we when than we want it to, and. Miami will be looking to capitalize on those mistakes because honestly, I don't think they're going to see a lot of chances at goal. So if we can get that extra body in defense, let's say uh, Urso gives the ball away needlessly. Okay, we have three back there instead of two. And and if they're coming at us with a three-pronged attack in a 4-3-3, uh, or if they're in a 3-4-3, that's still a three-pronged attack, we have a man for each of those players. And I think that's going to be important in keeping a clean sheet in this game. The next point is having flexibility up top. I think that's also key in the three center back system because uh, Daniel said it perfectly when he said that he wants us to flood the midfield and we have the ability to do that, but we also have the ability to get very wide. So if we start in, let's say a three, four, one, two, you have um, the three at the back and the four in the midfield, and then you have Pereira at attacking mid, and then you have Nani and Dwyer up top. You can also drop Nani in and have Dwyer up top and that's flooding the midfield. Or you can stick Pereira out on the right and you can stick Nani out on the left and you can have them get very wide. So you can get very creative with it. You can be very flexible and it gives Pereira the chance to kind of do that. Whereas in a 4-2-3-1, you can be somewhat flexible, but not that flexible as you have to make sure that you're defensively rigid, which we know he loves to do. So I think having the three-back system allows that and allows uh, us to kind of give Miami a defensive headache. And then finally, the thing that was similar to Daniel was maximizing Juan's pace and Moutinho's crossing ability. So when we have three at the back, we also have the two wingbacks with Juan and Moutinho, and they're going to be bombing up and down the field. I think if we could maximize Juan's pace, having him bombing in, he could win us cards like Chase was talking about. And Moutinho's crossing ability, I think technique's going to be very important in this game. And having him being able to put balls into the box, uh, hopefully onto Dom Dwyer's head uh, or onto the back post for someone like Juan Pereira or, or even Dwyer running on in the back post, uh, I think we need to utilize that. Yeah, I think that Juan is probably our best 
you know, strictly wide player. And, and getting the best out of our fullbacks is is a necessity because as much as, you know, Zhao is a bit of like almost like a one-trick pony, like he's very good with that one trick of delivering in crosses and things like that. I, I would even say that other than like the obvious players like Nani and Mauricio, he's probably the best player to, to whip in a ball. And I think the back line, if we go three at the back, you know, if we go Schlegel, uh, Janssen and Antonio Carlos, I think that that's going to be solid and it's going to provide enough cover for us. And our midfield is, is, is not one that's easy to break down. So, I think also it's like Inter Miami, like I don't know if they're going to come out with a five back or, or a four at the back, but it, it might be important to have a lot of defensive solid or solidity if they go for, uh, you know, a bit of a, a high tempo game, which might not be the case. Obviously, a lot of people are going to be um, not at full fitness, but if their attackers do come out and they try to get a little tricky with the, with the back line, I think that a three at the back is going to be a necessity and it, it's, it's going to do us well. And three at the back is not necessarily a defensive formation. Yeah. You can have three at the back, have your two wing backs, and then really push the opposition back because they can't get into your half because you have the three defenders, you have the midfielders doing the dirty work, and it, it can be a very good formation. I actually really like three at the back formation, so I'm glad mm. we saw it against Colorado. And it nearly worked. We almost got a one-all draw if it wasn't for that corner kick at the last minute of the game. Um, Daniel, do, do you think I swayed you? Um, instead of having the four at the back, do, did did uh, did I make my point well? No, your point was really good. Um, oh, I, I was. <laughs> still, hey, not that it matters to me, but you know. <laughs> but um, no, I think you make a good argument because it gets the best out of the of attacking fullbacks and gives us numbers in the in the final third and midfield and, and forward on so you know i I'm, i like the back three formations i'm i like a three four three and some games would be good um you know sometimes attack is a better form of defense as well and i just feel that you know miami and <clears throat> nashville they're there for the picking if they approach this game properly and i've mentioned this on a previous podcast that orlando has this habit of just playing scared i think you've got to you've got to break out of that now and just start looking at your opportunities and start saying this as well. Okay, they might think we're weak, but let's just, you know, let's just let's see what we can do now, you know, because we have the ability, I think, in midfield to, to hurt teams as long as we can just get someone up front that will stick the ball away. Definitely. All right, so, uh, Adam, what are your prediction, score predictions for this match? Well, uh, so I jinxed my Spurs today. <laughs> and I, I, I really did. Uh, I tweeted right before the game, something like, uh, like dub incoming or something. Yeah, I saw that. That did not happen. Uh, <laughs> I promised my friend Alex that I wouldn't jinx Orlando City, so I'm gonna say Miami's gonna win. Whoa, little, but um, it's like reverse psychology type thing. Yeah, a little bit. Um, scoreline. Scoreline. Ah, uh, one Chase. Uh, I don't. I don't know. This is. It's always going to be really hard to predict, and it's hard to put bias aside as well, especially because I'm very excited. So I'm. I'm going to say that. Uh, two. No, nah, I'm going to go one nil. Like I think it. It might be kind of low scoring, and I think that we are going to be able to kind of minimize Rodolfo Pizarro's impact and. 
you know, Nani probably would come up with a goal or somebody like that. So one no to me or for me. Daniel? One one and Miami will get a penalty. I can almost guarantee it. I'm saying What was that, Chase? Who gives up the penalty, Daniel? Moutinho. Mm. That's a good call. I would do Carlos, honestly. I was going to say Carlos as well. He's the most liable. Um, I'm going to go 1-0 loss. Or, no, 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 1-0 win. I'm going to say a 1-0 win. I did not mean loss. Uh, I think we're going to see an Oscar Pereira special here, if I'm being honest. <laughs> it's not going to be great for a neutral type. No, but um, I think it's going to be a cagey affair. There's going to be a lot of eyes on us, man. Like, like this is, I I feel like even people who don't watch soccer might be interested in this game just because it's sports coming back in America. Like, you know, NWSL is back, but you know, it's it's another sport coming back. So, I feel like a lot of people are going to watch this game. Be like, really? We waited three months for this. Yeah, it's going to be very cagey. Um, neither team is going to want to give up anything. Uh, I could honestly see it going nil-nil, but I'm, I'm going to remain positive and go with a 1-0 win, and it's going to be Nani. Uh, he's just going to be a tier above everybody. So that is it for part one with where we previewed the game. Uh, we will return uh, in part two with fan questions right after this. Welcome back, guys, to part two, uh, where we're going to answer fan questions uh, from Instagram and Twitter. And today we only have Twitter questions, so uh, let's get started here. Uh, the first one is from Elder Gorilla, who, if I can find it here, went on a little bit of a rant before he uh, finally asked his question. I am still looking for Here it is. Okay. Um, so we're, we're going to do the uh, PG version of, of this um, <laughs> response. Seems to me that Garber, instead of looking to Europe for a blank clue to do this correctly he said blank it yolo blank space it comma yolo (laughs) and created the covid cup or mls back tournament whichever name you want to call it and apparently the rule is the team who can make it without positive tests gets to go to two (laughs) knockout stages although i think i know my answer and probably has to do with sports oh um where is it? Less of a question and more of how the actual F yeah, Garber yeah. has survived this long as commissioner statement. Love yeah. the show, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you, boss. Yeah. So um, the, the question nope, I was nope. just going to do is how has Garber survived this long as commissioner? So, Daniel, I'm going to go to you first for that one. I, I really like this. I think it's a really good, solid, you know, philosophical piece you know, <laughs> in, the, in the clusterfuck of Orlando City. You know, like if there's ever a book written about the last few years this should be like the forward <laughs> you know. but no, I, I appreciate it. i like i like the dark humor though i mean um yeah i think it's i think it was a pretty funny statement i'm not sure what to say about it but yeah you can't be a good run every now and then uh, if i may yeah so um one of my best friends uh graduated with a an MBA in sports management from FAU. And mm. while he was there, he uh, he actually got to talk to a lot of high pro it's a pretty good program down there actually. For MBA at least. But he got to talk to like people like very well connected in the business and, and all the major sports in the US and uh, and he really understands a lot about like 
the front office aspect of sports, particularly like leagues and stuff like commissioners and front office people and marketing and PR and stuff like that. And, but he doesn't follow soccer. He doesn't follow MLS. And it really wasn't covered that much because they mainly cover um, football, basketball, hockey, uh, baseball. Because those are the big money makers in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And whenever I would talk to him about Orlando City and MLS, he would just uh, kind of sit there and listen and be like, y- you know that uh, that clip from Billy Madison where it's like, uh, what you have just said is the most uh, idiotic, insane, ridiculous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> or do you know yeah. point like, to have mercy on your soul? That's basically what MLS is to all the other professional sports in America. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. And that's all run by Don Garber. It makes no sense whatsoever. There's no consistency. The the only comparable thing is Roger Goodell in, in the NFL, but he actually had a clause in that CBA basically giving him God power, so at least that was written down somewhere. MLF, no one fucking knows. Yeah. Elder yeah. Gorilla, Don Garber is still commissioner because of history, because he did save this league from going under. If we're being honest with each other, Don Garber uh, is the reason MLS is where it's at today. He is also the reason why MLS will stall in its growth to become a very, very good soccer league. He's a bit like Vince McMahon in WWE. I don't know if any of y'all watch wrestling. Like, he was decent. I mean, Vince McMahon was pretty great in, like, 2000 up until, like, 2005. And, And now he's kind of stalling the business a little bit, but... I think Don Garber just has his fingers in like a whole lot of pies, if that's even a phrase. I think I've heard that before. Like, <laughs> like he's he's um you know obviously the MLS was only created because America didn't have a top league and we wanted to host the World Cup and stuff like that. And somehow he's almost kind of made the U.S. national team is more of a service to the MLS than anything. Like like it mm-hmm. in this country in terms of soccer, it almost feels like maybe not to the people, but but to the higher ups that. They're almost putting the MLS first at some times, and, and that's their primary focus. And maybe the end game is to, like, get it to improve the national team. But, like, he's just worked himself up to be, like, literally the most powerful man in, when it comes to soccer in America. And, like, I don't know what would get him fired. Like, I really don't think that it's anything. Like, I like maybe y'all know a lot more probably about the backstage stuff because – you know, I didn't necessarily look too deep into these things until maybe like two years ago. I was just more of like I watched the games and that was about it. But he hasn't like I've never really looked at anything he's done and thought like, wow, what a great job. And he responded to this very well, whether it be kind of like the United Front things or or anything like that. And I just like Don Carver, I don't think like I don't know what would get him fired. Like, I, I think he's almost like at a point where he has basically has like tenure and like no matter what, like, even if he's going to harm the growth of the game in the country and the league, like, he's just still going to have the job as long as he wants it, you know what I'm saying? Which kind of sucks. Yeah, but to be fair, who's going to fire him? He is the commissioner. Yeah, like, I like I don't know. The people that, would have to fire him. Thing. Like, I don't know how, how he, like, would he just have to step down? See, once again, yeah, <laughs> I guess I'm a little ignorant on these things, but it's like... In a normal sports league, it would be the owners. The so owners commis- would fire him. Like, I know Roger Goodell works for the owners. In MLS, the owners have so much less power than in any other comparable sports league. So, who knows? I don't it's, know who could fire Don Garber. Basically, like the only one to get fired, he almost owns the league. Who would yeah. have to go on him to get fired? Like, we talked about this last episode. Eight. My bad, my bad. We talked about this last episode, like, 
there's not there's not even any owners. Like I think that they're actually called like chief investors in the MLS, like like Arthur Blank or Flavio or whomever. Like there's chief investors, and they just put money into the club, and then they'll get kind of like if they make money, they'll get money back and things like that. But like the MLS, it's just so weird. Like I don't know how he's going to ever get out of the job unless one day he just says I don't want it anymore because mm-hmm. it's like. You know, like who is gonna fire him? Like I don't, I don't know who. Would, like, is there some type of board who would make that decision and things like that? I suppose I should do a little bit better research on the topic. But all right, well let's let's move on. We've talked about Don Garber long enough, and this is about Inter Miami. So thank you for the question, Elder Gorilla. Thanks for listening to the show. I do, or we all do, really appreciate it. Uh, let's move on to our good friend Lee three three seven. He says, "Do you think we just lock down on defense and try to get some ugly wins, or do we attempt a serious attack?" Kind of going back to what Daniel was saying and not being afraid. So, Daniel, I'm going to start with you on this one. What do you think we will end up doing? It's all there to play for, isn't it? You know, you need to try and win. I think seven points in this group is attainable, mm-hmm. as long as we don't, you know, screw ourselves at the back with a, a loss of concentration, and we can just stick one or two chances away. Uh, but I think all three games are, are winnable, you know, in, in potential. But I don't think they'll win all three. I think they'll, they're they likely to drop points against Miami and or New York. Um, but Nashville, I think, could be could be one that they certainly could win. And, and I still think they can beat Miami. But I hope they attack. There's no point to having this tournament and having the points carry over to the season if you're not going to try and win any of them. You know, you need, this is a, a great opportunity to get get a foot in the door. Uh, yeah, I, I think that we're probably just going to operate. You know, I know Daniel is proposing more of a four back. And I think that that would work very well, but I think we're more likely to see kind of like a five back and our center backs obviously would just stay back and then our full backs would attack forward, giving us a lot of bodies in the midfield going forward. And and our three center backs would provide defensive uh, defensive stability, I guess, with the wide players having minimal defensive responsibility as as you do in a three back so i think it's it's really going to be a, uh, it's a bit of a cop-out answer but it's probably going to be a bit of both where we're going to have players who their only job is going to be to p to defend obviously and then we're going to ask a lot out of our fullbacks going forward to try to add something and add a little bit of, of uh you know width and, and and danger to our attack and and create chances for whoever is going to be up top all right, now Lee also asks, with some real big names sitting out of the tournament or, or not playing, could we be a, a pick for an upset, Adam? I mean, yeah, we almost have to be, right? You know, that's how we're going to win. We're going to upset. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what to say here, but yeah, it could happen, you know? I, I, I do think, so I'll go into a little bit of what, seen from other leagues that have restarted so far mainly um i've watched bundesliga and premier league and what it's been it's been star players that have had big moments you know like the really good players are the ones scoring goals there's been a lot of mistakes and particularly in the first halves of games um it's been very conservative kg affair where like uh, the emphasis is definitely on defense and possession rather than going forward and attacking. So what that I think that's going to look like for us is, and we all know Oscar Pereja loves to look defensive solidity. So I think I think we will see three at the back, honestly, like uh, like Gavin and Daniel alluded to, with uh, the fullbacks being uh, basically sending up one fullback at a time and really always having four back. Uh, I think that's what we'll see a lot of. 
and uh, it's it provides an environment that's very volatile. So it actually does lend itself to upsets. Uh, and what I mean by volatility is volatility in uh, the chances of things happening, the chances of... So when uh, when you have low-scoring affairs, one goal could change a game rather than two or three goals it takes to change a game. And one goal could be a bad pass from a midfielder or defender uh, turns into a breakaway one-on-one and a striker slots at home for either side. And so I think that that definitely lends itself to an environment where... Um, a team that's not as well regarded like Orlando City could get some upsets and make a run and surprise some people. Yeah, I actually think that's a great point because volatility is going to be important in these games, like you said, and that comes with getting as many numbers into the box as possible. That allows for randomness to occur where the ball just bounces somewhere by accident. It hits off of Figal's leg and the, that ricochets off of somebody and boom, it's in Dom Dwyer's path and he hits it off the crossbar and we miss. Uh, so anything like that could happen. <laughs> no, he sticks it in the... I mean the first half, not going to lie. <laughs> no, I, I, I 100% think that he would score that. Uh, well, okay, 98% for that. Yeah, I'm going to take that back. 98% think he would score no, but, but volatility and randomness, that's a very important point, and that comes with getting bodies into the box, and that's something I think that we have lacked in the first two games of the season, and hopefully Pereja kind of sees that and kind of senses that, and we do go and 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 try and go after them, kind of like in Lee's first question. Moving on to the next question from FCKT, capital E-O-H-D-L-M-I, says, where do you see Fort Lauderdale's attack coming from since they didn't seem dangerous in their first game also do you see them coming with a defensive counterattack mentality uh chase this one goes to you first yeah i i think that it's gonna come from obviously um and, and and you know we really don't know what's up with julian carranza Obviously, we said he has a lot going against him, but he is a very capable striker, and he is a, a very highly touted young player. And and same thing with Pellegrini. So it, it, it's really up to those three players because Robbie Robson, though he wasn't necessarily off the pace in his you know his appearances so far, he hasn't necessarily looked like too much of a threat, and that's to be expected with you know even the even the Mac Herman Trophy winner, which uh, you know is obviously a great accomplishment in college soccer. Like you're not necessarily going to take like a duck to water in your first couple games unless of course you're Kyle Lennon so um I think that yeah definitely it's just it's all going to come through Pizarro and he might be able to set up these kind of talented young players that they have within their within their forward lines and, and midfields um and I don't I don't I really don't think that they're gonna try to like bolster down and be defensive because because like I said like you know Figal's fine and when they get you know LGP like obviously he's he's a very good center back uh, for the MLS so I think that they're going to be decent uh, with their center back pairing but I, I don't think their back forward is capable of kind of sitting back and, and bunkering and then trying to counterattack. I think that that's kind of playing a little bit into our hands and not playing into the strengths that they have into the squad so I think that they're going to definitely try to get a lot of the ball get it into Will Trap, Lee Wynn, whomever, and 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 they're they're probably gonna try to control the game a little bit and and get their their qual their decent attackers involved and and uh, I think that that's kind of gonna be their their prerogative in this game. I think something that might be really beneficial for us is that I think it's gonna be hard for them to get the ball to their important playmakers and 
in terms of Pizarro and Pellegrini. I think getting the ball from Will Trap, Unoyoa, and their 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 fullbacks into their forwards who can then create, I think that's going to be very tough for them uh, no matter how we set up. I think Mendez and Urso are going to do a really good job of disrupting that. And if we do start in the 4-2-3-1 and stick uh, Mueller out there, I think he's going to really put a lot of pressure on those people making the passes. And we might see a, a couple missed passes and a couple mistakes, and that could lead to counterattacking opportunities. So if we flood the midfield kind of like what, Daniel was talking about earlier. I think it will be a struggle to get the ball to Pizarro. Uh, I at watching Miami, uh, I noticed that they like to attack quick. They don't like to knock the ball around in the final at the edge of the final third and the edge of the box and and look for that perfect pass. Like some teams that that favor possession style like to do. Um, like you said about the back line, Torres has a red card, so he's not going to be able to play. They signed Leandro Gonzalez Perez for a reason. They're obviously not happy with their backline, or else they wouldn't have spent that money. So I think they're going to have to keep a midfielder back. Uh, uh, probably uh, uh, Trapper. Uh, they're going to have to keep a midfielder back, and that's going to make them struggle in that transition, which is really what their attack is going to feed off of. When they have LGP, it's going to be a different story, but until then, yeah, I think they might struggle. All right, let's move on to Nick Warbell. He has three questions. Uh, he says, who is our second striker, Tesho, Benji, Patino, or DK? And he says, confession, I really want to see DK in action. And on on, on the back of that, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of make up my own question here as well. So, Daniel, this is going to go to you. Who is our second striker? And also, do you think we will see DK in this tournament? I don't think we're going to see DK. And... I think he's, he's, you know, pretty raw, and and as uh, Chess said, it's a lot of pressure upon a young player to just come in and get something immediately. Um, he's going to be involved in the squad for sure, but he'll he'll not get a few minutes. Um, I think Akindelia will be the second striker, and I think Oscar Pereira at this point is just going to go with uh, who he trusts. He has history with Akindelia, and you know a lot of people rag on Akindelia, but he, um, you know, he got double figures last season. He's not that bad. He's still a decent striker, even if the first two games of the season he didn't he didn't really do much. But it's just two games. A lot of players didn't do much, so I think that's his second man, to be honest. I mean, I think I remember Akindeli and Dwyer linking up pretty decently last season. No, I think they both play together. I think they both play better as a as a two. Like each of them needs to be playing with somebody up front because um, they both have they both have. Good attributes in one sense, but they don't. They don't. They're not each capable of having an all-round game. So, put them both together, you'll get you'll get more of a combination than you would having just one of them up there who can't do certain things. I'm very excited to see Nani and Dwyer. Uh, I think Nani could really help out Dwyer uh, in the way that Pereja. It looks like he's planning on using Nani. Good. Nick Werbel has another question here. He says, with five subs available, what tactics will change other than the obvious two extra players allowed to come on? Perhaps full press nearly all game? Uh, and I guess I'll start with this one. I haven't started with one of them yet. Um, what tactics will change? I think we, we very well could see a full press, but not nearly all game. Not with how unfit the players will be. Uh, I know we've been training for two or three weeks now, but we're all soccer fans. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that uh, 
there's no way that they're going to be match fit and available to have a, a full press nearly all game. I mean, even when players all are fully match fit, they don't press for the whole 90 minutes. They they have to pick and choose their moments. They can just pick and choose them a lot more regularly. So what tactics do I think I will change? I think that you'll see a lot more physical play, in my opinion. I think there will be a lot more physical play because if fouls start to accumulate and yellow cards start to accumulate, you can take the player off. So that's what I think. Adam, what do you think? What kind of tactical changes do you think could come with the extra players? So I think that we'll be surprised by the level of fitness that we see, actually. Because you have to remember, these guys are professional athletes. And a good translation of that term, professional athlete, is freak of nature, not human. Hmm. Their bodies work different. They have different amounts of these muscle fibers and and blood cell counts and and all these things that make a, a body perform better through training, through... Uh, natural ability that they were blessed with when they were born. And, and watching Bundesliga and Prem, I, I've been surprised that not every single game has been, oh, let's use all five subs. Now, I might just be cursed as a Spurs fan watching Mourinho use two a game. <laughs> yep. but, uh, not looking, I mean, granted, the first game back was a little rough, and Harry Kane was basically dead at the 82nd minute when, when he scored. But you have these guys, they're playing 70 minutes and they're relatively fine. Like these, this is what they do for a career. And it's not like they've been sitting on their couch for three months, not working out. They like, they, they have home gyms and, and they, they're going on runs and they're keeping their fitness levels up at least to a baseline. Uh, and so I, I don't think we'll see tactics other than that. I've already mentioned we're going to see more defensive starts because the chemistry is not going to be there. But other than that, I think teams will want to play the way they play. Coaches aren't going to have a sudden tactical revolution of, oh, it's a tournament that's weird, so I need to play a completely different way. You know, it's going to be okay. We're play a little safe at the beginning. We're going to feel the game out, and then we're going to be we're going to go do what we do. And uh, and if someone gets tired, I have a sub there, but. You know, if if they're playing well and they they don't seem dead, I'm not sure. and so maybe there's a little comfort there in knowing that you have the five subs. I don't think I don't think anyone's gonna real really feel inclined to to use all of them. I think the difference though between England and Bundesliga um, is they were dead in the middle of a full season, and we are two games in, so we didn't even have the match sharpness to begin with. Um, and so we're already starting at basically, I don't know, 60, 75%, whereas they are coming off of 95 to 100% match sharpness. So I think, I do think that these first couple games are going to be a struggle um, in terms of fitness come the end of games. I mean, you saw the first week back of each of those, it was more of a struggle. But, you know, as the games go on, you get used to it. Yes, yes. Over time, yes. But for this Inter-Miami matchup, I think it will be a problem. Um, and then Nick's final question, he says, who out of our new players will shine the most? Will Urso capture our hearts with his work ethic and beaming personality? <laughs> will Carlos pair well with Janssen? Will Galese be the best keeper in the league? Chase, over to you. Uh, I think Galese is, is 
you know, fans have to keep her. Obviously, he wasn't necessarily called upon too much, and he even conceded two uh, two goals against Colorado. But, you know, being a, a goalkeeper with World Cup pedigree and, you know, earlier in his career, although he didn't necessarily make the moves, he was linked with moves to teams like Newcastle. And and, and that that's just kind of a testament to the quality as his keeper. And, and, and for his position, he's not necessarily too old. Um, Junior Urso, I wasn't particularly overly impressed with him in the first two games, but that might have been just because I wasn't necessarily too focused on uh, upon what he's doing. And I, and I know that some of his attributes are just kind of defensive positioning and things that if you're not looking out for it, you might not necessarily notice on your first watch. Um, and, and and Carlos, you know, I know you guys thought he had a couple errors in the, in the Colorado game, particularly with that last goal. But I, I think that he is... I would love to see the stats because I, I seem to remember he had a whole lot of defensive actions there. And, you know, I've, I've touched on all three of these guys. But overall, I think that Galese is arguably going to be the best goalkeeper in the league. I think that that's one thing that we can say with this squad. Like, And, and goalkeepers, even less so than field players, like fitness isn't going to be an issue. And he strikes me as a player who, you know, you, you could pick him up off of, a, off of a couch on a weekend when he, you know, isn't in like game mode and he could just hop in and he can he's ready to play. And I'm excited to watch him get a consistent run of games. You know, goalkeepers don't necessarily have to bleed into a system as, as much as typical field players, but I'm excited for him to, you know, get a feel for the MLS and, and, and understand how to, you know, or not, obviously he understands how to uh, play goal, but like just get a feel for the attackers and the level of quality and like level of play here. And I, I really am excited because I think that he could be, other than Nani, I think he could be maybe our best player, and he could be kind of an MLS All-Star caliber player. All right, we'll go around the table here. Daniel, who do you think um, out of our new players will shine the most? Or, yeah, out of our new players who will shine the most? Um, I'd say it's going to be... I'll go with uh, Galese, I think. I think he's going to prove to be kind of that, that last line of defense that will be reliable and will keep us in-game, maybe, so that we can get the second wind and and push for a good result. Adam? Let me give a wild card. Andres Perea. And uh, I uh, alternatively, uh, I want to shout out Rodrigo Schlegel also. I just dropped my phone, which has Skype on it. (laughs) Uh, You didn't hang up, so that's good. I did not hang up. All right, we're going to try it again. So um, actually, I I am going to go away from those three that are mentioned and go with Andres Perea. I think that midfield rotation, so maybe in the in the span of about 90 minutes, a guy can play the full game, but he's going to feel real tired afterward. And uh, particularly if we're going to go three at the back, that puts a lot of stress on the two, on the double pivot in the midfield to be very solid defensively, and that means a lot of running. And so we're going to see rotation there. I think Perea and Rossell both get a lot of playing time in this tournament. And I liked what I saw from Perea in the first two games of the season when he was able to get on the pitch. And I think that he will be, and there's nothing against Junior, so who will start over Perea when everyone's fit. But I think Perea is going to be like, oh, that guy's going to be pretty good for us. And and we're going to be very delighted with how he does. Particularly for a young player. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Rodrigo Schlegel. Um, I've really liked him in the first two matches, and I, I think Chase said that he was a bit... Oh, no, it was Perea who was skept, uh, skeptical on the, their uh, Colorado's first goal. 
But uh, in preseason, Schlegel looked outstanding. And in his match against Colorado, uh, to me, he didn't put a foot wrong. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He has a warrior mentality. You can just see it. Um, he, he's got uh, huge bags of potential. And I think we need to keep him. He is on loan. We need to we need to get that loan fee in, and he is going to be important for us moving forward. But uh, I think he's going to be important in this tournament. Um, he's very good with the ball at his feet. He can ping the ball around. He's a left-footed center back. So if we are in that three-back system, he can be in that left space and and move the ball out to Nani and Moutinho, and that's very important when it comes to that position in terms of left center back. So I'm going to go with Rodrigo Schlegel out of our new boys. Uh, and with that... That should just about cover it. Uh, so please, 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 please do not let us, please do not hesitate to let us know your predictions on the Inter-Miami match. Please do let us know your your predictions on the match. Uh, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Um, we are reading them out on the podcast. And uh, there is a survey linked in the description. It takes literally a minute. Uh, it's five questions. Very, 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 very fast. I would really appreciate that. Uh, and with that, Daniel, where can our listeners find you at? On uh Bucketman1982 on Twitter. Ellen Rodwright82 on Instagram. Chase? Vamos OCSC on Twitter. Uh, and Chase W. Crowley on Instagram. And Adam? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram. Ooh, it's a new one. Ooh. At Talk. So my, uh, my Instagram, I'm mainly going to post pictures of food I make. So if you're interested in that, then uh, follow me on Kosher Taco Truck there. Ironically enough, Probably not going to be Coach Tacos, but you know. (laughs) All right. Well, as always, everybody, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Quickly here, Nani gets in behind. Here's Nani with a chip. It's 1-1.